Hey Alex, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Sorry I'm late. Good to see you. And Jay Wolfie. Yes, thank you so much for taking the time. It's really good to see you. Um, obviously, we've seen a lot from you in, with your vlog and in, in the last couple of months, you have been quite active in YouTube. Uh, yeah, but... yeah it's, uh, we're on lockdown, so we've got to, uh, got to stay productive somehow and making videos is something we, we're both Chanel and I very, uh, we get very excited about. Very good. How long is this going with, with the videos you're doing with, with Chanel? Oh, we started, uh, we started doing them badly um, two and a half years ago. And then I'd say we've been doing them well for about a year, year and a half. Very good. Yeah. Fantastic. Listen, I want to start and, and tell people about it. Obviously, you're you're a famous writer, but I think I think it's it's nice, and I I really enjoy obviously first of all talking to people during that that uh, time here on on Wolfie's talks. But again, researching people and, and seeing the story and looking behind this, I think is really really amazing. And I think I, I just wrote a few things down. You now in your tenth years as a professional, you have been British Junior Time Trial Champion in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. You won the British title TT in 2011, 12, 13, 14, 16, 19. European champion, under 23, silver medalist, stage winner at the Giro Italia, uh, completed Giro twice and 2019 as well, the Tour de France. You were the winner of the Bayern Rundfahrt in 2015. Uh, and a few weeks before, you became the world you're smiling. I love that. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? <laughs> when, you hear, when you hear what your all achieved. And you have been, uh, just before you won Bayern Rundfahrt, uh, you were the world hour record holder 2015 uh, average speed 52.937 kilometers per hour uh, i'm wolfie your nickname is the tiger who gave you that name that's the first time i've heard that wolfie okay you're on wikipedia <laughs> you should check your wikipedia page okay oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you didn't know that you had a tiger. I thought Chanel gave you the name tiger. No, my Wikipedia page has been uh, <laughs> has been altered many times by many different people. <laughs> okay. Wow, but you know, and this is amazing. Yeah, this is just an unbelievable career with with so many so many victories in, in time trials. Obviously, you have uh, represented the the uh, British Empire in the Commonwealth Games and and so on. So I think it's just fantastic. So uh, okay. well done for this, and I think you gave a lot of people really. Uh, with the blog and everything, a good insight into into cycling and into what's happening behind the scenes. Thank you. Thank you very much. This, um, yeah, the the Bayern Runfart one's an interesting one because there hasn't been a hasn't been a, an edition of the race since. So I'm still, even from five years now, the reigning the reigning um, champion. Champion. Oh, good. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, if you if you ten years in the peloton, does this give you any perks, any privileges of it? Are you are you allowed to say when they have to stop for a pee break or, or how does this work? <laughs> no. Um, uh, oh, maybe, maybe. But generally the guys that call the shots on the pee breaks are, are either like your superstars like Cavendish and Sagan or they are um, riders from the team that's leading the race at the time. Um, I, I, I try and help out a lot behind outside of the race. So with... You know, doing things like talking with the riders' unions and and making sure that um, cycling is, is is fair for everyone. Um, so I do a bit of that. I, you know, I think it comes with being now one of the older riders in my team. Um, 
there's a bit of there's a bit more responsibility there to be a spokesperson for the riders. Um, and I'm not the only one. There's a few of us: myself, Dan, Martin, Rory, Andre. Um, we're all uh, you know well involved in trying to make sure the team. Yeah, and, and you become kind of a, a part of the team and alongside. No, I mean you're still underneath management, but you're kind of the the more experienced rider on the ground that sometimes relays you know like if a young rider's making mistakes you you're the one that says either to that young rider look stop making these mistakes and this is why or you say to the one of directors who you know because there's stuff from the team car on the or on the television that they can't see that we see from within the peloton so you definitely become more responsible and and more of a yeah spokesman within the team which is nice i enjoy it is this something you have done because that's your personality? You stepped up to do that? Or is it something because you, you saw this from other riders? Uh, I saw once Bernie Eisel, I was in the in one of the team cars uh, during the Dubai tour. And I think the, it was just the first day of the race. And, and I think the young guns were going off crazy. And he went to the front and he shouted at them and said, guys, we just started the race. So the, listen, calm down. Yeah, just let us go. Let us warm up. And then... Then we let you go, but don't go crazy from the beginning. I thought it was quite interesting because that's obviously something you never see uh, in television. No, and there's, there's some great stories like that where sometimes you, as an older rider, you do that to make life easier for yourself. Um, I remember Tour Down Under last year when I was riding for Katusha. I, uh, the team said oh, today it was the final day and today would be a good day for you to go in the breakaway. And so I attacked from the start line and I went with two of the under 23s from the Australian team. And I was like, for sure, they'll be strong. Um, but being the older time trialist I am, I can say, I can say what pace we ride at. And I was, I was, you know, the breakaway is not, to an extent, you can govern the pace that the peloton rides at because they don't want to catch you too early. So if you ride slow, the peloton will ride slow. And I knew immediately that I had some pretty bad legs that day. Um, I was like, "Well, this is," but at least it's just me and these two young Australians to to um, to control the pace. So I, I can manage myself today, and I can dictate the pace of the whole race. And then we did one rotation, and then what happened next was after the next rotation, um, some other riders had joined us. So uh, Lucas Posselberger joined us. I was like, "Well, he's strong." And then Yasha Sutterlin joined us. I was like, oh, he's strong as well. And then um, Bagdonis joined us. I was like, it's another strong guy. Danny Van Poppel joined us. I was like, oh. And then Thomas de Ghent joined us. What? <laughs> I was, and then I just, suddenly I went from being the experienced one to the, to the frightened one, pleading with them to not make it too hard because I knew I was on a really bad day. And... Yeah, it was one of, the, one of the most horrible days of my career. Um, and yeah, but that was, you know, sometimes you don't get it all your own way as an older rider, especially if Thomas DeGent's in a breakaway with you. Unbelievable. He is just yeah. an unbelievable machine. Yeah, but okay, you're, you're I think you deserve that when you're not a machine or not a tiger, then you're at least a machine. Uh, you, you have been just amazing in your career, uh, riding obviously time trials and stuff. That That is what, what you enjoy most. Yeah, I love it. This time trialing is how I started cycling. The first race I ever did was a uh, was a ten mile time trial, sixteen k. We are like in the UK, ten mile time trials is massive. Um, 
I, I like the purity of it. I like the technology side of things. You know, like the fastest rider um, almost always wins unless conditions change. Um, I like trying to make myself go faster through aerodynamics, through the, the tech side of things. I, you know, I'll openly admit with, in terms of strategy in road races, I struggle to read a race like some of the other guys can. It's, uh, I, I still feel like, uh, like if we're on the road, even though I'm an older rider, I, I, can, I can help when it comes to a lead out, but when it's the strategy of what breakaway to let go and how far to let them go and, and which teams are gonna do the working to, to pull it back, um, I, str I struggle with that compared to some other riders. So I, I don't think I'll be a director when I finish um, when I finish cycling. But when it comes to a time trial, I'm I'm quite confident I could help make anyone uh, improve their improve their time trialing quite significantly. And that's and that's something I enjoy doing as well. So yeah, the time trial is it's just I really like it. And when you're doing it, it's horrible. It's one of the worst things in the world. But the minute you finish, you're like. Yeah, let's go do it again tomorrow, not now, because you're still recovering. What do you do when you have, let's say, an hour ahead of you? You break it down in, in, in distance, you break it down in minutes. You How, how do you get through it? I mean, if I do sometimes some, some exercise and I, I do, let's say, 10 reps, then I do five and I do two, two, and then one. But how do you do this when you have an hour of, of pain and you know it's going to come? And how do you break it down in your head? What's happening in your head? Um, yeah, I, I break it up into sections for sure um it's uh i also i, I self-analyze a lot i like you know, I, I try and work out you know the power i'm doing how i'm feeling if i'm on a good day a bad day and then i'll adjust accordingly um thinking about the conditions thinking about um just if i if i'm doing the right thing at the right time uh working out the maths like my average speed and what that's going to translate to in terms of a uh in terms of a, of a result um yeah for some for quite a for a sort of um for a, a part of the sport that seems quite like level where there's not much changing there's a there's a lot going on uh, yeah. yeah very good can, can you take us back to 2015 when you when you aim for the hour and um when, when was the first idea you had in your head when you said, okay, th this is something interesting. You always wanted to do this when you heard about it. And then when was really the day you said, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and how, how long was the preparation for that day? It was when, um, it was when the, it was when like the UCI changed the rules, the yes. hour record or something. It just seemed like the ultimate time trial. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I said to the team, I was like, should we have a go? Like really very casual about it. And they said, uh, and this was with Movistar, who had a history of the hour record with Indurain. Um, and they said, yeah, okay, like we'll do some tests. Like Movistar were always about doing some tests to um, to just work out if I was good enough. So I'll never forget it. Um, they said, uh, we organized a session in the Velodrome in London. And I was there warming up, riding around the top of the track, and I'm just watching people come in. So I'm watching like three people from Endura, um, a couple of people from, people from Canyon with Eric Zabel came, um, three or four from Movistar, um, a couple of the guys from Power to Max. And I was like, 
oh, okay, Alex, what have you, what have you <laughs> got yourself into here? Um, it really was. Um, it became quite a daunting, a daunting prospect. Um, and then it was, you know, full commitment from there. And it became much bigger than I imagined. It was, yeah, from going from just doing a time trial round, um, doing a time trial round of velodrome, it became a very, very big thing. You know, Movistar made a big event of it. And it was, um, you know, I, I then complicated it by breaking my collarbone. Uh, just a month before we were meant to do it in the first place, we it, it was a lot of stress, but you know it, it all worked out, which was great. I'm just going to move because my laptop battery is oh. a bit low. So um, we all know your apartment anyway because we yeah. have seen it all in the vlog. Yeah, so it was um, yeah, the hour record, but it was it was phenomenal. And actually, I really I wanted to do it again at the time because it was. Um, Because we'd gone, just because we'd seen what Jack Bobridge had done. I remember with Jack's attempt, he set out to do like 55 kilometers when the record at the time was still Rowan Dennis's or even Matthias Branley's kind of 52 and a half uh, mark. And that was so, and he really paid for it and it became a very horrible thing to watch. And I think we all got a fright in that if you go too hard and now record attempt you you pay for it uh, later on because if you if you if you go into your anaerobic state you don't really come back from it because it's not like even in a time trial you can recover you can take a little rest you can you can recover a bit whereas in a in an hour record you're on the power from start to finish so you have to be very careful with your start you have to be careful with uh, your pacing throughout so we we ended up doing um We ended up on a strategy it was to break Rowan's record by the smallest amount possible just to be as safe as possible and it ended up being much easier in terms of power output than uh, we anticipated um, so I think I was looking at doing um, kind of between 400 and 420 watts and like that's what I was mentally ready for and in the end it was 370 so I was like between 360 and 370 which is like a high zone three ride. I mean, it made the whole thing very enjoyable because it wasn't, I was never in like a huge amount of bother in terms of the, like the pain of it, but it made it, um, I was kind of like, I'd done all this training, all this work and I was in really good condition and I'd gone out and I'd done an hour record attempt and I'd finished it and I was like, I could have gone further. Um, but, you know, we had to stick to the plan. And when are you going to get going to go further? Is there any <laughs> anything in your head? Yeah, I want to, but yeah, it's, the hour record is you have to have full support from your trade team. And I think Mov, with Movistar, we looked at it again, but the 54 and a half kilometer mark seems like we did some tests and it was doable. We said, we looked at it and it was it was achievable. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, much more difficult, but it was achievable. And then. Uh, they, I think Movistar decided in the end not to. I think from them, they're like, we did it, we got it, our name's on the list, we don't need to do it again. Um, and then Katusha, unfortunately, I, I brought it up with Katusha, but in the two years I was there, the, the you know, we struggled financially at Katusha, which isn't, you know, that's not, um, it's very much documented in the press. And I think the team just had much 
bigger problems without the stresses of running an hour record as well. So that became um, it became an impossibility. And then, yeah, with Israel Startup Nation now, it's is it could be feasible, um, but we've got uh, coronavirus, so that's got kind of put everything on hold. Um, so I think once things and and for Israel. This is a massive year for them because it's their first year as a world tour team. It's their first year in the Tour de France. It's really big. Um, so I think, you know, it's the priority for them is, how, is getting settled in the world tour. And then, um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully I, I, will, I will do an hour record again one day. Okay. Um, I just don't know when yet. Fantastic. Okay, we're really excited. Um... I looked at the, the data as well. You were a little bit behind time uh, during the first lap. And then I think only kilometer 40, 45, you really catched up and then you, you overtook uh, or you came to the, to the top five before you were down and you had the pacing. So how's the pacing work? Because you don't have a power meter, uh, you get the timing shown and you, you knew you were on track and, and then just nailed it. Yeah, so the pacing was, um, the pacing was that you're always recorded relative to what, every single lap time Rowan had done. So Rowan started quite fast, then he got faster, and then he started slowing down in the second, in the last kind of third of the race, uh, of the hour. Um, we settled on a strategy that, I think the most efficient way we decided to do it was just simply to hold the same lap time for the whole thing. Um, so once you get up to speed, sit on 17 seconds a lap. Now, every... Uh, you're allowed one person at the side of the track and that was my mate Steve who was giving me my lap splits but they'd always be from half a lap um, yeah from the lap finishing half a lap previously so I would get um, I would always get the information um, half a lap late which was fine because your speed doesn't vary much yeah. um, we knew 17 seconds if I held 17 second laps for the whole hour I would break the hour record, but it would it would be a record that was broken at the end because of the way it compared up against Rowan's uh, Rowan's attempt. So it was just quite fascinating. I mean, the way we did it is if so, if I'd record um, a seventeen second lap, so on schedule, Steve would hold his hand out flat. If I'd come through and I'd done a sixteen eight, so if I was two tenths too fast, he'd put yeah. two fingers upwards. And if I'd come round and I'd do a 17, uh, 17 one, so if I was one tenth too slow, you'd point one finger at the floor. Um, so it was real simple until I think at 32 minutes, the gap went from, I think at that point I was about a lap and a half behind Rowan, um, so 25 seconds down, and the gap went from getting bigger to starting to get smaller, at which point the crowd got very excited, as did I, and then I suddenly, my lap time, I think I clocked a 16, like two or a 16.3 and came around and Steve, it wasn't hand signal. He was just like, slow down. Um, because we didn't want to, we again, even then didn't want to risk going like over pace and then falling off a cliff uh, like Jack had done. So we, so I settled back in and then at 52, it wasn't until I think it was 52 minutes that I went ahead of Rowan and then I think mean, that's when my team kind of let me off the leash and let me start ramping the pace up a bit. 
and my last four laps were fifteen fives, which were which was obviously much quicker. Um, I was just pretty gutted not to get that fifty three k mark. Just I don't know when you're that close. I was forty three meters off of no thirty three meters off of fifty three kilometers and a hundred meters off of what Miguel Indurain did. So I wasn't even fastest rider in the history of Movistar. <laughs> wow. Well, but we had the record. That was the, game. that was the goal. Next time. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> you mentioned that you've been all together in five teams. It was Drift, uh, Track Livestrong, Sky, Movistar, Katusha, and now Israel uh, Cycling Academy. Yeah. Um, what are the best memories of the, the older days when you were starting as a pro um, 2010? What can you, you have any good memories to share with us? Oh, loads. Um, Trek Levstrong was one of the most fun years of my career. Um, I was on the team with Taylor Finney and uh, we just had a really, really good bunch of guys and we just won a lot of races, which was uh, just really, you'd, you'd go to races with such confidence that you, you'd just have a great time around the race and just the whole, the racing scene in America was just cool. Um, the races were not long. I think 120K was a long stage. There's a lot of time trials. There's a lot of crits. You know, I'd gone from racing three years in Italy and just getting my ass kicked um, to then go into America, go into an environment that I could be competitive and just re-falling in love with racing because I could race well. Um, and it opened my eyes to uh, like the fact that I could be world-class as well because we saw... You know, Taylor Finney was winning. So it was for the rest of us, it was like, why can't we? And we just, the success we had that year was, it was unheard of in under 23 racing and it still is. I mean, we put, I think five of us went to the world tour um, and another couple of us went pro Conti. It was one of the most successful U23s in U23 seasons in history. Um, then I went to Team Sky, which was I, like, the best place I could have been as a Neo pro. I had enjoyed a lot of success in my first year. And then, um, and then the second year, the team had said that they would uh, put me in a grand tour. And then, and then they didn't because I, because I lacked experience. Um, and they were going there with a team to help through me or Bradley Wiggins win GC. So you need to take a team that has experience. And I was like, but that to me, I was like, if I, how are you going to get the experience if they're not willing to take you to get the experience? So that was when it was clear that I needed to move teams um, just after two years at Sky. But I still maintained that those two years were the best place to, to have been um, as a Neo Pro because I was, the team did such a huge depth of racing. Like going to races like ZLM Tour, Tour of Luxembourg, these kind of smaller pro races where I could fully get stuck into racing and I just not get, not take a beating every day, but actually be quite competitive. I've picked up a couple of wins. Um, it was a hugely enjoyable. And then that set me up really nicely to go to Movistar where, yeah, it was a big, big culture shock. They operate very differently to, um, to, to what Sky did, what they still do. Like they, they're a very successful Spanish team that operate in a Spanish way. And mm -hmm. it's not, um, it's different, but it certainly isn't. When I joined there, I thought this is a, this is wrong. This isn't how 
like a professional cycling team should run, but they, the success they had and the success I had with them as well was, was kind of like, okay, now this is, there's more than one like in England. In, um, one of the sayings we've got in English is there's more than one way to skin a cat, which is a horrendous saying, but <laughs> yeah. it's, um, kind of reigns true. And that was, I, it, the, really that it became apparent when we did a team time trial at Terreno Adriatico and, like it was, it's just, it was like organized chaos. You were, you were rushing around, you do the recon like far too hard, but then it came and I was just like, this is a waste of time. But then we did the race and we finished second and we mm -hmm. annihilated Sky. And it was like, right, this is this, well, this works. And that was, um, yeah, that became, and then I stayed, I stayed at movie star for five years. Um, we did an hour record. We, we had Bayern Rundfahrt. I won multiple national TT titles. It was, yeah, it was a really great time. Um, yeah, then went to Katusha. Um, after, I, I felt like my time at Movistar had sort of naturally come to an end. Um, I was ready to go and try out a, a different way of doing things. Um, I went to Katusha and that was, I, Katusha was a lot of fun. Like we were not successful. Um, there's no like beating around the bush there. We struggled, but it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a great bunch of guys. I, I, I enjoyed being in, in an English speaking team rather than struggling with Spanish, um, much more. I made some very strong friendships there, but going from, you know, team sky, uh, which obviously team sky, Ineos, hugely successful to Movistar where I think of the. Five years I was there, we won the UCI team prize, four of them. Mm. Um, to then Katusha, who was, we were fighting to get like the odd win. Uh, we were fighting to get any results. Um, we were down on numbers. We were down on riders. We were getting injuries. We had financial problems and it was a tough, tough couple of years. Um, and, you know, we all tried our hardest to help, help the team, um, but it just, you know, we couldn't, we just kept year after year, I think they just kept getting beaten down by um, multiple factors that couldn't get out of. And that, you know, that was a shame because it was, you know, it's a team that's got a lot of good history. Um, and, but yeah, I will, like, again, it was two of the most fun years of my career, even if we were taking a kick in. And I think um, you were the team. I think you were the team with the best hair, hairdo and grooming. Yeah. What, what was your ranking in the grooming and hairstyle uh, ranking in the team? Between Marcelo, I, I really pulled it off with my beard. That was yes. my, um, you know, like some guys like Marco had a thicker head of hair, but I could, you know, I could, I could form a very good beard. So, um, yeah, I, I helped my own. Very good. <laughs> good. Fantastic. Now the new team, obviously, as well, a, a very strong squad. Uh, with an with amazing mix of riders. Um, you support Andre Greipel and Nils Pollitt and so on. So uh, what, what is your job in the team? Or what's your obviously winning time trials and setting a new world hour record, but anything else on the list? Oh, I mean, so far we've, I think so far I'm, I've become, I think I'm even more of a older, more experienced rider in the team. You, you come in with like, the experience that I have and, and very much are looked upon by the directors and the management as as an older like team captain 
mm-hmm. kind of role. And there's a lot, and, and the, the riders are getting younger as well, comparatively to me. Um, so the biggest differences are actually going from, like last year, Katusha, we had 22 operating bike riders. Um, obviously with Marcel retiring, Ian Boswell having a concussion that ruled him out for the year. We um, we lost a ton of riders in the Giro crash. Um, you know, we we just were struggling to get riders to races in Israel. We have we have 30 riders, um, and then we have a pro Conti team where they can be drawn up into races outside of World Tour races as well. So it's just if I said to the team that I can I have a couple of weeks to train, it'd be like, yeah, no problem. Like, whereas in Katusha, it'd be like, can I have a, a couple of weeks to train? It'd be like, nah, we need you to go to here because we we don't have enough riders to field enough um, spots on the team. So it's very different in that respect. And then that's a good thing. I mean, the depth we have is is phenomenal. Sprinters-wise, in Katusha, we had uh, Marcel, and there was a lot of pressure on him as the sole sprinter with you know, Rick and Marco would sprint um, when Marcel couldn't, but they were not, you know, they're not, they're, they're their, their strengths, I hope they won't mind me saying, are, are as lead-out men, not as sprinters. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Katusha, we've got, obviously, Andre, we've got Rudy, we've got Hugo, uh, we've got Travis McCabe, we've got some, like, we have, you know, two two or three world-class sprinters and a couple of guys um, who are coming up as well. So, again, the, the, the depth we have, and that goes for the same for GC guys as well. We've got some phenomenal riders and we've got more than one. Whereas in Katusha, it's like Ilner Zakarin was having to mm. be our sole GC guy. So I think in that respect, it's going to be a lot, um, a lot easier to, uh, to race. I mean, what my role is probably the same as, I mean, so far this year, I've done UAE tour, well, two thirds of UAE tour and, um, Sun, Sun Tour and Tour Down Under. So done quite a lot of racing. Um, and I was lead out man, uh, chaperoning a GC guy around all the time. Never had to, I haven't had to, I haven't ridden a TT this year. So that's, uh, I'm looking forward to getting stuck in there. I'm itching to go. I've got this shiny factor TT bike sat in my uh, bike room and it's yet to be used in anger. Do you have a gravel bike as well? No. No. Okay. Do you do you enjoy gravel or rather rather not? I never I never understood it. Um, yeah. It just seemed like a it was like a cyclocross bike that wasn't a cyclocross bike, and that wasn't a mountain bike either, and it wasn't a road bike. It just, I, I, I never got it. But then this winter I went to New Zealand to spend my off season, and there's more gravel roads there than there are paved mm-hmm. roads. So I was like, well, actually, if there ever was a place to have a gravel bike it's here so we go back again i might um i might forego either the road or tt bike and take a gravel bike with me very good and when you think back obviously you have always teammates and roommates uh you you're rooming with uh who was the best one and who was the worst one um best one i rooming with marco haller is easy we uh last year we roomed together for a full month um around our Australia trip, uh, which was, yeah, tore down like a training camp earlier there. Uh, as the crits tore down under. Um, 
and we didn't we didn't have so much as one disagreement let alone any kind of fight um and i think that was that, that showed that like marco and i could comfortably room together um i remember tony and nigero first year katusha and that was that was a lot of fun learned a lot you know this guy was tony was like my idol when i was younger um I still, I still look up to Tony massively. It was, I think the Giro prologue in Jerusalem was the first ever TT I'd managed to beat Tony. And uh, yeah, I was I kind of apologetic to him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it wasn't his cup of tea, to be fair. Um, and that, yeah, he was just seeing how professional an athlete he is uh, on and off the bike is was quite yeah. something to see. He's, um, yeah, when you get two or three, two weeks deep into a grand tour, any kind of stretching or core stability regime starts getting replaced with Netflix. Um, and, but he, Tony was someone that still would maintain, maintain all that, no matter how tired he was. Um, oh, worst teammates. I think just generally the worst teammates are the guys where you don't speak a word of their language. They don't speak a word of yours. So it's kind of like you grunt at each other and you gesture at the light switch to switch it off at sort of 10 p.m. and that that's it it becomes racing becomes quite a lonely place so. i don't know if you know that you made it to the hall of fame of cycling you you have an official card in the <laughs> cycling so just this yeah. is maybe a good card but i think oh, no. the time trial rating is nice and high i'll take that yes very high very high yeah generous on my climbing though 26 that's, <laughs> that's good of them <laughs> Very good. But there's only a certain amount of cards in that cycling trumps, and I think you're one of them. I think that's actually quite a quite an achievement. Um, <laughs> Olympic Games was a big yeah. aim for you, and I think you you were on on the bike training when you heard about the news that it wouldn't happen, and and kind of it took you obviously everyone by surprise. But uh, now 2021 is this is this a new aim for you? Yeah, well, same aim, uh, same aim, just 18 months later. Or 12 months later than it was meant to be 18 months later than when we found out um it's it's a shame because we've done like when you've done so much work uh for it already to then just put it on hold was frustrating but i took a i took sort of a week two weeks off the bike um you know took a rest cracked open a bottle of beer like first one since 2019 and um kind of relaxed a bit, you sort of could enjoy enjoy that. Um I think I've had enough enough times in my career where I've worked super hard for something and then it's been taken away from me for usually an injury or an illness or something. Um you know it's happened quite a few times. So I'm not it's, it's something I'm used to and I'm used to dealing with. Um and as an athlete I think you have to be able to deal with setbacks as well as you deal with when things are going fine um but the biggest um but the, the the only advantage to this is i think with the time trial we sort of looked at it as opportunities to go faster up to opportunities to optimize the equipment more um you know we've now got 18 months to do what we wanted to do in six um mm -hmm. which can only and, and progress things further which can only be seen as a good thing um And everyone's in the same boat. You know, this isn't a setback that affects just me. It's a setback that affects everyone. So I think that that makes um, that makes it a lot easier to handle. So it's, yeah, it's been fine.
How do you like your ceramic speed, oversized pulleys, and all the ceramic speed stuff on the bike? Is this you, you feel it makes you faster? Yeah, I mean it can't not. Um, yeah. So just uh, cycling now is all about the little gains. Uh, it's yeah. amazing how what it comes down to when it when it comes to when it comes to um, when it comes to like time trialing, especially. Mm -hmm. I mean, last year I had two very frustratingly close misses in terms of a European Championships. I was fifth. Um, it was 26 minutes long. I was 0.48 seconds away from a podium. So it was Eduardo Affini, Stefan Kung and me were separated by less than half a second. Wow. Um, and I just, and I, I looked at everything I could have done more then. Um, yeah. And ceramics were, were part of it. I didn't have any ceramics on, on my bike at all then. Um, so then fast forward to world championships, I finished fifth, uh, seven seconds away from the podium, but I did have all the ceramics and it was Filippo Ganna who, and I think someone worked out, I was one and a half watts. If I'd, if I'd managed to find one and a half watts somewhere at world championships, I'd have, I'd have been on the podium. And that's, um, you know, you might not be able to feel those, the gains from the, the ceramics or, a different aero helmet or a different skin suit. Super important. I remember I was talking to like a sponsor a while back and I said, I think we need to change this to be better. And they said, yeah, but the, the difference is not much. And I said, not much is what we're working on now. Not much is the difference between winning and losing or between third and fifth. Very good. No, no, for sure. Um, you spend twice a day, you, you train on Zwift? Uh, I am. I have to at the moment, yes. Oh. I have one question from one of the listeners or the viewers is, um, Alex, how much did you get paid by Simon to beat you yesterday on Zwift? It's a question from Josh. <laughs> um, oh, no, it's, it's pretty easy to beat me at Zwift. You, don't, you wouldn't have to pay a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of this running joke. I'm at altitude, so um, which I remind everyone when I get onto Zwift because Zwift may give you no advantages at all for being at altitude, so you're just running at a, about a 14 percent disadvantage all the time. So, yeah, I want to get back a little bit to the beginning of the um. When you started, who was your who was the first person who introduced you to cycling, um, and and who was your hero when you were a little boy? Um, so, a guy called Eric Smith and his son Glenn Smith introduced me to cycling, um, or to road cycling at least. I was already I was doing a little bit of sort of leisure mountain biking with my dad, um, and then with dad's group of mates, Eric was one of them. And he said, I said to him, I said to my dad, Do you mind? Do you think Eric could let me have a go on one of his road bikes? And took me to watch his son race time trial, race a time trial, and it was um, I had a go on a it was an Eddie Merckx alloy Eddie Merckx bike with Campag Chorus. So I started classy. Um, the sporting hero was my dad. Uh, he was a racing driver. Yes. Um, and it was just you know, growing up with all his 
stories of back in his racing career was uh yeah it was pretty inspiring um yeah never never really had a sporting hero within cycling to be honest it was always yeah just always my dad i think your story obviously is as well special with um that, that you suffer from hemophilia uh, and i think uh, nice as well that you have the um uh, charity little bleeders yeah? yeah can you tell us a bit more about this oh so yeah i mean um I guess another way I got into cycling was through my hemophilia. Um, wasn't allowed to do sports at school, like football and rugby, like more dangerous sports. Um, so I was sitting out, I had to sit out a lot of them and my parents kind of recognised that I wanted to do sports. So they, we sort of were looking at trying to find sports that were safer. Um, and cycling, cycling is one of the good sports until you crash. Um, but by that point, by the time it's much more manageable. I mean, when I was in like, preschool, uh, so up to the age of 11, I'd have a lot of problems um, going to school sometimes on crutches or with my arm in a sling through like, internal bleeding episodes. Um, but when, yeah, when I sort of turned to senior school, I was able to do more sports and able to be more active and, and yeah, came into cycling. And I was... I started cycling because I couldn't do so much at school um, and I was fast because I was swimming a lot. Um, I came from a swimming background before because the doctors had said to my parents that swimming was very good for my haemophilia. So it's, it's like this real nice story where if it wasn't for my cycling, I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here as a pro cyclist. Um, mm. So we, but haemophilia is a condition that, with the medication is progressing really rapidly and it's enabling um, hemophiliacs to be able to do more and more. And I was becoming an example of that. So mm. we set up um, Little Bleeders as a charity to try and help inspire young hemophiliacs and their families to, to show them what they can do, um, which is you know, so much more than what um, was previously assumed. And that's been, you know, it's, it's been a real fun journey so far. There's still some huge things we want to achieve. Like if, if you're a haemophiliac in the UK, you're quite well, well looked after. Um, I know the same as in the UAE and, and yes. Germany, you're well looked after as a haemophiliac, but in other countries you're not. And it's like winding the clock back 40 years. And without the medication, haemophilia is, is a pretty devastating condition. Um, yes. So that's you know one of the main long-term goals for haemophilia is to either get medication out to those that need it or to try and educate governments that they need to devote more resources to to haemophilia. And I think you met somebody in UAE and you inspired him and, and told him your story. And I think obviously your story inspires a lot of young uh, people who get told maybe, hey, you can't do this, you can't do this. And then you come along and, and become... Um, our world, our record holder, and, and so on. So I think you, you're really showing. Okay, everything is possible if if uh, if you just approach it right. Yeah, there's a young lad in the UAE called George uh, George Harrison, um, and he's uh, I think he's yeah he's got exactly the same as me, severe hemophilia, and he but he hasn't had any of the problems that I had when I was a kid because because of how good the UAE is for haemophilia but also how far the conditions progressed so it's um yeah it's always fun UAE is always good fun coming back catching up with George and and catching up with his dad as well who's an avid cyclist Tim uh, um 
And I haven't seen George the last year. This year I didn't see him because he's uh, he's at school in the UK now. So, it's, um, which again is quite incredible that at his age he can leave leave his uh, parents to go to a boarding school and be completely self sufficient with the haemophilia. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, yeah, it's quite incredible. And do you feel that obviously that challenge made you rather stronger? That you rather felt okay? That changed your mentality towards sport? That you that you obviously want to show someone. Um, I, I can do this. Um, uh, how did this work? I don't know. How, how yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, and there's a very common trait amongst young haemophiliacs where they we become, um, what's the word? Where if someone tells you you can't do something, you, mm -hmm. you go out there to show them what you can do. Um, and it'd be, it can be quite dangerous because if the doctor mm -hmm. says you can't play rugby, I think some kids are like, well, no, I am going to play rugby. Mm -hmm. um, I was lucky with my parents because they recognised that I wanted to do sport. So it was like, we can't play rugby, but we can like we can go cycling or we can go sailing or or do some athletics or something that's a bit more haemophilia friendly. Um, but yeah, it definitely gives you a proving people wrong attitude. Well done. No, well done. Well done for you and well done for this charity. I think education is important that more people understand that there's uh, obviously good medication and and there's things possible which they, they maybe don't think yeah well done thank you in in your life who's your who you feel is your biggest critic and who is your biggest supporter um oh my family are my biggest supporters um oh, biggest critic probably myself critic in a positive way i feel somebody you feel like okay he was really challenging you said hey alex you have to do this and this and really somebody maybe you even look up to and you say hey listen I want to make him happy and and but he's he's pushing the right buttons to make me go uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> my mum um, okay. knows nothing of cycling outside of what i do um and she every so often it was more when i was living uh, in the uk every so often she'd i'd be struggling and racing say and mum would just be like well you don't seem to have been training as much as normal or like you've been going out like for dinner instead of eating in a bit more than normal. Just these like general observations. Hey. <laughs> like, huh. Yeah. Like, you, sometimes, yeah, you can do all the training, the specific stuff in the world, but every so often your mum's there to go like, no, nah, you've, you've been, like, you've not been looking after yourself as much as you should do as an athlete. And yeah, it was always quite scary how right she was a lot of the time. <laughs> And, and when you come home, what is she cooking? What's your favorite? What's your favorite uh, meal when she's preparing for you? Uh, Mum does a fish, uh, a fish risotto, which is kind of her her staple that the whole family likes. So uh, whenever I get home, it's uh, almost certain that we're going to get that uh, at least one day out, one day a week. Very nice. Yeah. Um, as well, obviously, uh, Instagram and YouTube has been quite uh, something you you put a lot of effort in. We, we spoke about it at the beginning. Um, that in the last year you feel really up your game and I think the thighs club how did you come up with the thighs club name is it is it the size the shape is it you need a certain <laughs> dimension to uh to join oh, it's nothing to do with my thighs um ah, <laughs> Chanel. Uh, uh, Chanel actually Chanel came okay. up with the name um I think uh, I hope she won't mind me saying um it is like a it, it came from like a self-image thing you know we've all no one looks at themselves in the mirror and thinks that they're perfect. And for Chanel, it was, I think she said it was always, she had, uh, like Chanel used to be a trampolinist for New Zealand and 
part of that was needing strong thighs and it's just, it was like, we can't change it. So we may as well embrace it. Um, and obviously thighs are very important in cycling. It just, it made sense. Very good. Fantastic. Something and, quite fun that's then turned into something quite serious, actually. Is there a body part you're really proud of? Maybe uh, your, your legs, your calves, your... I've still got my hair and I'm... Your... That's fine. <laughs> that's <enough>. that. <laughs> Very good. Um, is there a famous person, if you, if you had the chance to change your life and take his life for a day, is there someone comes to mind where you say, okay, I would, I would love to be, I don't know, Formula One driver or uh, what would be the dream day? Formula One driver. Or any kind of race car driver, really. I just, uh, you know, it was the one sport. Like when I was a kid, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be a cyclist. I, I barely knew cycling existed until I asked um, my dad's friend if I could have a go on a road bike. Um, I wanted to be a race car driver, and maybe when cycling finishes, I still can be. Probably not at a super high level, but just on a more sort of fun and semi-competitive level. Um, But yeah, I'd, I'd kill to kill to have a go in a Formula One car. It just like guys that have raced, you know, like Formula Two and Formula Three, say it's a, like it's a, just a mind blowing step up. Yes, I've I've met um, some of the side or the, some of the riders uh, drivers in in Dubai when they come for the uh, for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and Bahrain, and so we had the pleasure. And even Fernando Alonso was once on a Friday morning, and I, I hardly recognized him. It was January, and he just pitched up for the ride and it was, was quite cool. He was quite a yeah, very pleasant person and, and it was just a cool experience to have him on the ride. And he's really into cycling. So maybe uh, if, you, if you meet them one day, maybe they, they let you get have, have a go in a car. Yeah, that's cool. Hopefully. Um, I, I have a few sentences and we, we call this finish the sentence. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, and and I, I give you the first part of the sentence, you finish it. A perfect day is? A day with a time trial. Oh, very good. That's nice. Yeah. And I can ride my bike faster than? Chanel. <laughs> I wish I had. Um, I wish I had a GT2 RS. Oh, very good. This is the next question. What's your favorite car? Okay, very good. Um, it's too early to? Uh, too early to... Mm, mm, mm. Make a decision for when when is the a day for the world record attempt? Yeah, yeah, okay, that will do. <laughs> okay, I really love it when. I love it when a training session goes well. And I'm really annoyed when. Uh, when. Yeah, I'm really annoyed when a training session goes badly, and I know it's my fault from like nutritional choices that I've made. Very good. Who is the greatest cyclist of all time? Uh, oh. um, I mean, Merckx is the obvious one. Yeah. The greatest Cavendish. sprinter? Greatest sprinter. Okay, greatest sprinter is Cavendish. And the greatest time trialist of all times? Uh, Tony. Tony Martin, yeah, very good. He's a, he's a good guy. Um, who do you think is the biggest upcoming talent in cycling? Uh, Evan Paul. Evan Paul, yeah. Uh, wow, yeah, what a performance. Uh, Mind-blowing. 
I, we, we did European champs last year and first time I raced against him and it was a course that was for us big guys, me, Stefan Kung, Affini, Ghana, and Evan Pohl just destroyed. I had, I, it was the best time trial I've ever done. I had 450 watts for 26 minutes and he put 15 seconds into me. Just mind blowing. Who's the funniest cyclist in the peloton? Uh, funniest, 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 funniest. Who's always a laugh? Um, Chris Joel Jensen used to be an absolute riot. He seems to have mellowed out a bit in recent years. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I. No worries. Like you, yeah. If you could change, you said you're in the union, and if you could change something in cycling today, let's say for the Grand Tours, anything about the UCI, any regulations, anything for time trialing, maybe what you would like to see change, what would it be if you could have the, uh, if you could change it? I think for, um, I mean, not, not for, the, there's, there's plenty of stuff for the riders, but actually just a relaxation on the rules in time trials. Um, in terms of like the equipment and the regulations around that, I think it would be, I look at what the triathletes are able to use and it makes, you know, I think it would just be cool if, if pro cycling goes that way, you know, we're all, we're on, um, it was just on very restricted equipment. Um, mm -hmm. and then you look back at the, you know, the days where you had Graham Obrey and Chris Boardman and the bikes they were using, it would be, be quite something to see what the manufacturers could come up with nowadays yes if it wouldn't be so restricted yeah and you could just go for it yeah yeah true yeah. um a few quick ones as well to the end uh socks long or short long chamois green yes or no uh yeah yeah yes tattoo yes or no you have one to what a tattoo what's that tattoo <laughs> My German. oh a tattoo uh no, <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I thought a tutu like ballerinas wear. <laughs> tutu, yeah, okay. That could have been something interesting. said, yes, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, racing, you race with a power meter or you race by feeling? Um, time trialing with a power meter, road race by feeling. Okay. And clothes, you wear a short and a top or you wear one piece? Uh, one piece if it's good enough. And the wind is your friend or an enemy? Uh, yeah, I like the wind. wind. Yeah. And and tire size, you go for 25 millimeter or 28? Depends on the rim size. Okay. Okay. Very good. And did you did you play around with different tire pressures? Is there something you 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 play around a lot? Um, I kind of go on the guidelines of what the um, clever people at the tire manufacturers say because they would have done all the testing. Okay. And yeah. And you do disc brakes or regular brakes? What do you prefer? Oh, um, I, disc brakes work better. There's no doubt about that. Um, I struggle to see the need for them on time trial bikes. Um, and yeah, I, I voiced an opinion back when they were starting to be introduced that I thought they were dangerous and there's not been luckily, you know, thankfully, and I did say at the time, I hope I'm proven wrong. And so far I have been, but I, you know, cause there's no been, there's been no 
serious injuries caused by disc breaks, and I hope there never is. Um, so, yeah, so far, that's a very mixed answer. There is no black and white to it, I don't think. If you write your book, your biography, what's going to be the title of your biography? Uh, probably something to do with my hemophilia. Um, yeah, something along the lines of being a little blader. Do you have a favorite quote? Anything you live by? Anything which inspires you? Uh, not really. I just, if I know I've got a hard session coming up, I try and think about the end of the session, how I'm going to feel if I do it and I do it well, or if I don't do it out of laziness. Very good. If you go to karaoke, what song are you going to pick? Oh, I avoid that like the plague. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Very good. I turn around and run as fast as I can. Holidays, you go mountains. For holidays, you choose the mountains or you choose the beach? Uh, the beach. Okay. And if you go to the beach, you wear speedos or shorts? Shorts. Shorts. <laughs> okay. The last two, two things. Um, do you have a party trick or any skills which are impressive when you go to an event and you can show them off on an evening? Yeah. I can make a horse galloping noise using just my hands and my chest. Okay. Let's go something like this. Very good. Thank you. Very good. <laughs> Very nice. And do you have a funny or strange habit? Or maybe I should ask Chanel. Uh, does Alex have a funny and strange habit? A funny or a strange habit? Yeah. He passes gas without knowing that he's done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, are you collecting something? Uh, oh, no, I don't have an apartment big enough to collect anything. Very good. Very good. Last one. If you could spend a day with a person dead or alive, who would that be? Um, oh, my grandma. Mm -hmm. Just so she can see, see uh, where I've got to. I think she passed. I get everyone does, but she passed earlier than she wanted to. So mm -hmm. where she could see my sister and I now. Very good. Very good. Is there any lesson you have learned from cycling which you use every day in everyday life? Yeah, look at the small things. Good. Focus on the little things. All of them. Fantastic. Thank and you. also, I mean, also invest. Invest yourself. I think, you know, and I was one of them. Pro athletes come into a, yeah, you've got to invest in your sport. Um, I know a lot of pro athletes that wouldn't dare buy ceramic bearings or anything like that themselves because they're like I'm a I'm a pro athlete someone else should be buying this for me but ultimately it's you that does the race it's you that wins or loses or does a good job or not and you know it could be ultimately it could be worth far more than um a set of bearings or a skin suit um but also I, I want to finish my career knowing that I gave everything to it and not wondering what would have happened had I sort of taken the plunge and spent X amount of money on a set of bearings or a skin suit. Very good. Very good. Alex, thank you so much. I think we took a lot of your time and, but it was really exciting. Uh, first of all, it was obviously exciting to research all about your career and it, it's nice to, I really enjoy spending the time with, with all of all of you guys. And I think it's fantastic. And I think you, you really do a lot for, for all the cyclists, uh, in these time trials, we're really suffering with you. And I think uh, being out there 
and, and doing what you do best is just fantastic to see. And I think with your charity, I think well done. Yeah, and, and thanks Thank for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Wolfie. And apologies, uh, apologies, I was a bit late at the start there. No worries, no worries. Thank you so much. I hope you have a good evening and we hope to see you racing soon, yeah? Yeah, I'm just about to jump on Swift, so. Very good. Thank you very much. Cheers, Wolfie. Thank you. See you. Yes. Bye. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, on Monday, we have Luca Messick from, uh, from Team Mitchell and Scott. And I'm very excited. And please get your questions coming. And thanks for watching. Really appreciate it. Have a good night. Thank you.